Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and with me this afternoon I have Stuart Taylor, the club's 105 model registrar and valuations officer. Good afternoon, Stuart. Good afternoon, Guy. So uh, we, we have a fairly standard way we, we run through these conversations and, and, and we start with the obvious question for anybody who's involved in alphas and, and involved in the club is how did you get interested in and involved in alphas in the first place? Well, it all goes back to uh, 1969 and I was taken to Southgate Odeon and saw the Italian job and I saw all these fabulous minis chasing, well, being, being chased by these strange green Italian uh, police cars. I hated the minis, but I really, really was interested in what the, what the green, green police cars were. Then that sort of led into holidays in, in Italy and um, kept seeing these very unusual square boxy cars going past our full Cortina estate down the autostrada. And I just just had something that I always wanted to see, always wanted to know what these what these cars were. And once I've been, once I've been in employment for a bit and I've got some money behind me, a 2000 GTV Batoni came up fairly locally, and uh, I bought. I went and went and bought that car, which I kept for over 20 odd years. And that really got me into 105s, and I'd always anchored after the Julia Saloon. Of course, at that time, you just could not find a, a, a good yeah. one. I don't know why. Luckily, through the Arock Classifieds, one came up. Uh, Jonathan Trinder uh, had it. It was a. Uh, it actually was uh, a car that uh, Richard Banks had right. was from you. And the, the the banks boys went to school with him, and uh, we managed to get that pick up that car. We actually shared it. Charles Holden and I purchased the car, and I've had that car now for over twenty five years, and, and love it. And that's really what got me into Alphas. <laughs> I, I think I've said on this podcast before. I that portrayal of the police Julia's in the Italian job must be one of the most unfair, unrealistic. Um, portrayals of a car's <laughs> performance in cinema history. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the, the the alphas would have trounced them, wouldn't they? They'd have had them in the had in the first five minutes of the, of the uh, chase. But uh, and it, it's the comic bit on the on the roof where they um, completely run out of steam and start going backwards because they couldn't go up a slight slope. It's just <laughs> so that that that's two. Any any other alphas you've owned? Well, I've had uh, seventy two alphas in my career. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that's the highest number we've had from anybody who could <laughs> who could still count them. I, I think we've had a couple of people who said I, I've completely lost track. <laughs> uh, yes, I was totaling them up last night, uh, 72, and some were good and some were dreadful, but uh, love them all, really, in, in their own their various ways. I've had, I suppose the oldest alpha I've got, I've had is the one I've actually got now, which is the 69 Julia Super. Yeah, newest car, newest Alpha probably was a, a one five six sport wagon. Okay, I'm really into into classic Alphas rather than, than the modern cars. To be honest, um, hence my interest in the one hundred five five register. Really, yeah. So we'll get onto the register specifically in a minute. But how how did you get involved with the club? It sounds though like it was probably reasonably early on in your your ownership yeah, so experience. There was a fantastic article in the Classic and Sports Car at the time featuring the 2000 GTB, which I just acquired, which would have been about 1981. And they had a feature on restoring the Alphas. And John Dooley's garage was featured um, at Wrestlingworth in Bedfordshire. I, w- I went along there to see, to see John and uh, got to know him very well. And he said, "Well, you've got to become a member of the club. You know, there's, there's no, there's no, no ifs or buts. So the Arock is the is the one thing you've got to do." So I did join, and that was one day in 1981. So member for nearly 40 years. And I suspect one of hundreds still in the club who were who were personally invited to join by John. Well, that's that's right. John was such a great 
ambassador for Barrock. I mean, he was one of the original you know, founding members, he and Liam's father. I'm indebted to him for his sort of time, advice and guidance, really. I mean, his articles on the 105 series in the magazine are fantastic. I mean, he was the sort of chap you could ring up at any time of the day or night. He didn't mind. He'd answer those questions and he'd keep you on the phone for two hours. And it was fabulous. (laughs) Such a great guy. We're we're a great loss for losing him. And the point about two-hour phone calls is is well made. I I think the most awkward two-hour phone call I had with John was when I stepped out of a one-hour business meeting and to speak to him for five minutes and popped my head back around the door halfway through and said, I'll I'll miss the rest of this meeting because I I need to take this call. (laughs) And I I didn't need to take the call in any meaningful way, but um, I I wasn't going to end the conversation. No, absolutely. I mean, John's, again, John's introduction to Scuderia de Portello and the visits we had down to Arezzi and meeting the guys down there. I mean, it's just, just fantastic. I mean, his, as I say, his knowledge of, of the cars, and and he was thought of so, so regarded so highly, you know, around the world as, as Mister Mister UK Alpha, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the the register, how did you how did you get involved in that? Oh, that was a board meeting in 1995. Um, I probably stuck my hand up at the wrong time. Um, <laughs> uh, Ed McDonough was looking for somebody to take on the, the register. Again, I was in love with my, my 105s and I thought, yeah, I, I can do this. That's, that's not a problem. I, I took it on, got a box. So I've got three big boxes of files arrived on my doorstep. They were all in a terrible mess and I had a, had a couple of months sorting everything out. Now I've got everything in, 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 in the chronological order and uh, it, it's, I, I love just adding new cars and new faces to the register. It's so, so, I find it so interesting to find yeah. out where these cars come from. Uh, whether you know barn finds and things like that, it it, it, I, I, it just I can spend hours doing it. Much to Nikki's uh, disgust, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, presumably with that kind of um, that kind of archive, you're able to to trace individual cars through multiple generations of ownership as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've got several there which have gone gone through like ten owners in in the past. I mean, we're talking. You know, fifty fifty years on on some of the cars, and and that's that, that's terrific. I mean, we one of the big things that I I put out about the register is that if somebody is purchasing or thinking of purchasing a car, you know, we can look back through the register. We can probably provide a service history. We can tell them how many times the car has been restored, who by, how much. Um, it's it's a tremendous benefit to members who are you know, considering a purchase of a car and. Uh, Again, another great benefit from from Pararoc, really. And it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm a model registrar as well for a, for a much more modern car, and it's interesting how many different kind of roles registers play depending on how common the car is, how old it is, you know, how what kind of racing heritage there is associated with the model. It, it really is different from register to register. I know um, Steve Ball has a a philosophy with the 155 register of trying to document every car that ever came to to the UK, regardless of whether that car was ever, you know, officially registered uh, and yes. owned by a club member. <laughs> what do you see as the as the role of the 105 register? Well, I mean, obviously, it's a keeping a record of all the cars that um, that, that are that exist in the UK. I mean, unfortunately, there are several well there are probably hundreds out there which aren't on the register and of yep. course there are cars coming in from um south africa and australia 
um, being adding adding to to, to the to the listings and all the time. But it is just keep you know keeping a database for the for the membership really. And uh, I, I like to be able to think of it. You know, we're, we're useful to owners with you know looking for prospective purchases. We can assist members with parts, difficult parts, and things like that. Uh, location of well, that's that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, we, and it's just just keeping people up to speed with what's going on within the 105 world, which is just literally worldwide, which is which is yeah. terrific. And it's again d- different to some other model registers. It's it's quite a broad scope, isn't it? With um, you know, oh, it is. Julia saloons and the Batoni coupes and the spiders and yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, we cover cars from right back from nine. The early Julia saloons back to 1962, right up to the last series four spiders of '93. So there's a tremendous span in there, and of course, all the different variants of the model and that sort of thing. Um, the number of different spiders that, that are out there is is incredible. And <laughs> just trying to keep keep pace with those, and whether they're American spec cars or UK or uh, European, um, there's there are so many so many loopholes there. There really are. Yeah, and obviously one of the things you've talked about with the 105 register is the ability to help people who are buying a, a particular car with a service history, and and, yes. and that kind of naturally leads on to to being able to help establish some kind of envelope for for valuation. And I know valuation on on 105s is is notoriously difficult because of the um, <laughs> the range of condition and. Um, and modifications from original, all of those kind of things. But uh, how, yes. how big a, a part of the role is is valuation, and how did that lead you into the the, the broader valuations role? <laughs> it's something probably I just I just assumed. To be honest, the <laughs> people would, the people would come up to you at meetings and say, well, "What do you think my car is worth?" And uh, I suppose uh, having the the the, the, the hat of the, the registrar on, I, you you can say, "Well, I think it's worth this this amount of money." I then sort of broadened that by going along to a few of the auctions and keeping track through the through the classic car magazines. And uh, as I said, I was assumed the role, uh, which again I, I thoroughly enjoy. It's it's interesting to see how various models have gone up just in in the last five years in terms of value. It's unfortunate that the saloons are sort of always dragged behind a little bit, yeah. but they're, they're they're catching up. They're catching up to a degree now. But when you think of two, some 2,000 GTVs are now fetching £60,000, which is, would have been unheard of 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's the sort of figure that, that you're looking for, uh, for a really concourse example. And obviously, you, you know 105s inside and out and, and front to back. How, how much more challenging is it to provide evaluation for, for other models, if you're asked? Well, I, I, again, I, one of the first things that I do is contact the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, reg- the other registrars in the club and, and, and put it in front of them and say, well, I've got this car, you know, come forward for, for evaluation. What do you think it's worth? And get them get them to have a have a have a, have a, have a punt at it as well. Then have us have a chat with perhaps a couple of guys we know through the auctions and look at you know various various price guides and things like that. If I'm not sure, I'll always go and visit and have a look at the vehicle. But most of it can be done either on e- email or from photographs. Yeah, which you have to be a little bit careful of. But you know, nine times out of ten, that that's the way I, I try to do it. And I haven't haven't been caught out too too many times so far. So that's good. <laughs> and, and I guess there've probably been some trends over the years that have changed. I think at, at one point it was. It was almost impossible to sell a a larger engine car because nobody wanted 
you know, three litre plus cars and, and V6s. And now if you look at you know, most Alpha ranges where there's a V6, the V6 is, is far and away the most desirable car in the range. Yes, that's true. It's, I mean, one the 156 uh, V6 Busso engine cars now, I mean, they're getting, they're highly sought after and there are so few good ones left. And I can see values of those shooting up. I, in fact, I can't, can't really see why the values of a 156 won't go through the roof in a few years time because there'll be so few and far between yeah which is we know they're, they're such a such a good car and it's just such a shame that um, they have they have those issues you know the corrosion issues but yeah. again, get a good get a good one the values there you know get get one where they sprayed the under seal on both halves of the chassis, <laughs> on both halves of the chassis. that's correct <laughs> <laughs> not a monday not a monday morning or friday afternoon car yes <laughs> and, and, and yeah i mean you have to love those little idiosyncrasies i think with the um <laughs> With the the nine three nine series cars, the, the way to to luck in and get a good one is to have the factory not fit the um, under tray properly. Because if, <laughs> yes. if, if it was fitted snugly, then the water collects in the sponge and and rots the subframe. But if it was misaligned, it drains out. It's I mean it's just yes, perfect. I'm yeah, great with Italian uh, engineering. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I guess the other qu- challenge with the with evaluations is some of them are even. Even seasonal. Um, I know if you look look to buy a, a nine three nine spider at the moment, it's probably three grand cheaper than it will be in May. Oh yes, exactly, exactly. I mean that, that follows with all you know all the spiders and and to a degree the batonis because they're all been, they're all tucked away for the winter now. Yeah. Yes, certain, certainly uh, it, it is a very seasonal thing. But if somebody wants a car, you know they, they will go. We will get out there and, and search for it, and uh, they they are there. And that again, people come onto the register and say, look, I'm thinking of selling the car. I mean, you know, can you put the word out or just keep a note of it? And we've, we forwarded several cars to prospective owners that, that way. And again, it's another good good benefit of being a member of the club, you know. Yeah. And I try and pick up on the, say, the, the Facebook page, anybody who, who says that they're looking for a particular car, I can usually, you know, foot, foot, put them towards somebody who's selling a car or maybe selling a car or made noises about selling a car. Uh, we can usually do that for them, which again is, which is a great, great, great feature, really. And I guess there's a couple of different reasons why people ask for valuations, and and the other obvious one is is insurance. How yes, yes. how receptive are uh, the various insurance companies and brokers to to club valuations when they've you know maybe undervalued a car themselves? Yeah, that's true. Um, we, we we have a very good relationship with with Chris Knott, and um, they they will basically accept anything, not everything, but the majority of the values that I, that I will send to them on the cars. It doesn't work quite so much with, with some of the other classic car insurers. Um, but again, I'll have a chat. You know, if they have a problem, I'll have a chat with them and uh, we can usually work something out for them. We, we've had a chat just recently. You had a um, had three beautiful cars. They were, they were in an underground garage and the garage was was, was flooded out. Uh, he wasn't a, a, an insurer. He hadn't insured his cars through Chris Knott, but Again, we assisted him uh, to get to, to get to get the insurance cover sorted out, and uh, again, it's another little service that we that we try and do for the members. Yeah, just going back to 105. So we had James Browning on the podcast recently, who's responsible for the uh, the new Julia GTAM, and obviously the the GTA and the GTAM are, are a big part of the the kind of aura and mystique around the the 105. 
Uh, yes. What's your your thoughts on GTA and GTA M replicas? I guess both from the the point of view of the cars that we end up with, but also the the cars that we lose. It's it's quite difficult to find a, a GT Junior these days because they've all become you know, yes, GTA that, replicas. That, that's true. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of the early um, Sprint GTs and Sprint GTVs have, have been converted over to over to GTA replicas, mainly because of the the step front look look of them. Yeah, it's it's a great shame, you know those cars have gone forever now and uh, some have been made into really good examples of GTA replicas some some look hideous I think <laughs> I would rather the cars stayed as they as they were but again you know um, that's that, that, that's up to the owner's owner's choice really I would I would rather I'd rather see some of the earlier cars and as you say they are getting fewer and far between and it's it's a, it's a great shame but and again, you know, some of the some of the restorers and specialists have made you know made some really good examples of these these, these GTA replicas, and uh, it'd be a lovely a lovely car to own, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, on the one hand, the rarity of the of the GTAs and the GTAMs is part of what makes them special. On the other hand, you know, the the base car is so close to that in you know in, in potential yes, that you can yeah. see why people would want to add add another one to the <laughs> to, to the list of, of replicas and, and I guess yeah. with things like that you talked about the banks brothers earlier on yes uh, you know their, their cars are are in a different league and and objectively in some areas better than the originals oh I think yeah definitely I mean, you only had to see that um Chris Harris driving the car on one of the GTA GTAR on the on top gear to see you know what a, what an amazing machine that is it's it's so highly modified yeah. uh, compared to the the, the standard uh, the GTA I mean it would, would run rings around it to be honest but great I mean if you've got three hundred thousand pounds to, to spare then why not <laughs> you know I'd, I'd love one <laughs> yeah and I and I guess you from a historic perspective it's 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 probably better that alcoholics are doing that to cars that weren't GTAs than that they're making the same kind of improvements to a real GTA. And I know they do, you know, they do work on um, FIA spec race cars as well. Yes, yes. If something's going to be modded to be a, a GTA R290, I'd probably rather it hadn't been an original GTA Junior. Yes, I, I quite agree. Yes, I quite agree. You, 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 it's two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? Really, you either have yeah. the, the, you know. The, the the, mod, the the lightly modified cars, or you go go the alcoholics route and just just have every tick every box on the sheet, really. Yeah, <laughs> I, one of the highlights of the NEC show. I, I think you you couldn't go, unfortunately. No, I, was, but... I, was, I was down with COVID, unfortunately. I was really right. really upset about that, but there we are. <laughs> but, but what was nice there was to see uh, Richard Norris's GTA and and the GTA R flanking the the new GTA M and 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 just being able to compare. Richard's beautiful, genuine GTA with the the Alphaholics car. Um, yes, it's really nice to see them side by side because you rarely get to see. Yeah, as a know, comparison, uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're fantastic. I mean, um, Richard Norris's car is just well, it, it, uh, yes, it's on my Christmas list every year. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, Richard only came up on the Sunday. I didn't get a chance to to talk to him in person. But without being indiscreet, what what kind of value do you think that car is compared to the three hundred k three ninety R that was next to it? Well, it's going to be up in the hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy, hundred and seventy five thousand. It's got to yeah. be. You know the, the originality and everything of it. It's just, just, just that, just that sort of style, that sort of price. I think um, I wouldn't like to do, wouldn't like to do a valuation on it, to be honest. But uh. <laughs> yeah, 
interesting that you know there's huge reaction from the press about the modern GTAM and the price of it. Um, yes. And of of the three GTAs at that end of the stand, it was by far the cheapest. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Well, not by far is probably an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I like the way Alpha sort of re, re, reinvent themselves with that that sort of thing. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Where, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go in the future? You know, I can't. I, if the Julia does get into a, a change into an, an electric car, what, what's going to happen? You know, are they going to have a yeah. GTA version of that? I don't see, I don't see it, really. But, uh, well, I, I guess unlike some other manufacturers where the, yeah, the emphasis on the performance models has been more on power than weight, I guess yes, there's yeah. still... There's still a kind of logic to a an Allegerita version of an electric car. Yeah. Um, so you can still say, you know, the performance version is higher performance because we've used a higher density battery and, you know, carbon <laughs> and whatever and got the weight down. So I, I suppose yeah, it's I suppose consistent. So. Yeah, I suppose so. I've not really thought about it that way, but yeah, I suppose why not? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and it was, it was um, nice to see the, um, the authentic, well, authentic, the the tribute liveries that they made available with the GTA and GTA M harking back to the to the 105 racing liveries. I I, I couldn't get a, a solid answer from from James about how many people have actually ordered cars with the with the race liveries, but it was a nice touch. Oh right, okay. I've not I've not seen that. I'd be have to I have to keep an eye out. Is that gonna be in the next magazine? Um, <laughs> we, we talk about them in the magazine. I don't. We we haven't actually got haven't actually got any pictures of the liveries, but they they did. You could order your GTA or GTA M. In red with a uh, an ochre front flash or a white front flash, or um, you can, right, you can okay. have a, a tricolor stripe down the roof. Or there were about five yes. uh, five different liveries, which were were all inspired by touring car races of the of the period. Yeah, the nineteen sixties. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay, well, interesting. I've not, I've not, I've not picked, up, picked up on that. Yeah, I've not so. seen one in the flesh, and apparently they had they had seven originally and ended up only doing five because two of them would have been too difficult to do well right, in, the, right. in the production process. Um, and apparently, yes, apparently some good. people have ordered them. So it'll be nice to see when the, when the first ones yeah, of those, exactly. those roll out Yes, it will. on a one Oh five base mod of a different kind. I don't know if you saw the, the An- Anstead one five one five eight replica. Yes, I did. I did follow that on, on TV. Yes. It's very, very, very good. Yes. Because he came, he came, he came on the stand didn't he? I understand. He did come on the stand. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have him on a, a podcast at some point. We were gonna do a live podcast with him at the show, but he was just so in demand that we uh, <laughs> we couldn't get an hour of his time during the day, which was was probably a bit ambitious in the first place. But okay, but that that's a car that you know in the TV show was based around a, a 105 Spider drivetrain. Yes. yes, yes, and and is now based on a on an MX-5. Okay. And and there's, again, I'm in two minds about that. On the one hand, it's lost a lot of its alphaness, um, yes. although the, you know, there wasn't really much connection between the 105 and the, the Alfetta. But on the other hand, I'd almost rather people were ruining a... <laughs> Winning <laughs> an MX5 to make a, a too kit car. Then. Too right. Yes. I quite agree. I quite agree. Mm-hmm. But what sort of money? What sort of money would that would that run out at then? Did, did you? Did you? The basic kit. I think everything you need to make one ready to go uh, is about twenty five grand plus the cost of an MX5, which I think for the the relevant MX5 is only about two or three grand. So for under thirty k, you have everything you need to build one yourself. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh well, horses for courses, you know that's the thing. Yeah. And it gets, it yeah. gets, gets, gets the word out and the thing about Alpha, then that's not a bad thing. I don't 
Yes, and uh, yeah, a lot of it, yeah, a lot of the the photos and things have featured heavily the the cloverleaf badge and um, yes, and talk, talked about the one five eights heritage, which is which is all good for the for the mark. And it's only really when you see the two side by side that you realise how compromised the the replica is by the components underneath it. So it's a it's a lot wider than a, a no. Tipo one one five eight because. The, the front subframe from an MX5 is a lot wider than a, a 158 <laughs> yes. was. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Yeah, well, there we are. I'm just trying to think what else I can tell you about the 105 register. I mean, uh, there are other models, of course, in the alpha in the alpha ranges that have 105 prefixes, which is this is this is the anorak time, of course. <laughs> the, the Montreal Montreal has a 105 prefix, as does the Junior Zagato. Yes, the uh, the AR12 van uses a lot of uh, 105 uh, components. Uh, we've never actually had a 105 well, van actually on the register, but I'm looking forward to the first <laughs> one that I do do get. They must have been incredibly underpowered uh, when you think they only had the 1300 uh, CC yeah. engine in it. When you saw some of those going up some of the mountain passes in Italy, I mean, just wonder how they ever made it to the top. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's probably typical of its time. You know, the little comma vans and things. Yes, exactly. Were probably only 1300 1600 engines anyway. yes that, that's true that's true I mean, uh james wheeler had uh, had the transporter which he which he had restored and yeah that was that was terrific but he said it was so deftly underpowered once he had something in the back it was <laughs> it was it was, a, it was a nightmare but uh, <laughs> well and, and and of course they're even rarer so the idea of putting a, a two liter twin spark into one of those to, yes yes exactly yeah to make to make it more drivable is is probably even more sacrilegious <laughs> than it is putting it's it into that's a, only coupe yes that's right exactly Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But again, going on, keep going back to the register. I mean, I keep tabs with a lot of the guys over in Holland uh, with the Dutch club, Scarb. Um, talking to a lot of the chaps in Germany and Belgium and in France. Um, we keep, you know, we keep up to speed with what's happening in the 105 world. We'd love, once we get over these pandemics, I think we would love to do an international 105 day somewhere or maybe weekend. Yeah. It's been muted somewhere, possibly at the Nürburgring. Uh, we could do something there, or maybe at the Spa Six Hours meeting at, uh, in Belgium, which will be a good location. And I know the Dutch are well up for doing something like that. Um, but of course, it would be a nice, nice thing to do for the club's 60th anniversary. Well, yes, as well. that's right. That's right. I mean, I've got to get, got to start writing as well because it's the uh, 60th anniversary of the Julius Saloon next year. So uh, we've got to get, get get writing you an article all about those and that, I suppose. So. <laughs> Yes, please. Yes, <laughs> that would be much appreciated. <laughs> and and you, you talk about the the community, and and it it really is, isn't it? I mean, the the, the remarkable thing we don't have perfect records of of what our members no. own, um, but from surveys and and historically, you know, it, it's run at yeah up to about two thirds of the membership had a one hundred and five, albeit they may have had other yes. cars as well. And I think it's probably still at somewhere around the fifty percent mark. Which for a, a, a car that is 55, pushing 60 years old, um, for the early examples, yes. it, it's really quite remarkable. It, it is, it is. I mean, it just shows how good, such a, what a good car they were. You know, they um, they were so far, I mean, certainly with the saloon, and I keep harking back to the saloon, but I mean, they were so far ahead of their time um, back in 1962. I mean, when you think people were riding around in Auntie Rovers and things like that, which were comparable. Yeah. Um, there's the there's the there's the 105 saloon which had a you know 0.30 uh, CD coefficient. I mean it was uh, designed by the wind and at uh, a rate yes. in the wind tunnels, you know. And 
what a what a great what a great car that is. Um, well, I, I think I'm right in saying I could I could be wrong, but I think I'm right in saying that um, in terms of production saloon cars, that wasn't bettered until the the Audi Hundred, which only got to point two nine. That's right, exactly. Yeah, I've, I've read that same article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you, if you look at the, you know, the Julia Saloon, then it, it's it looks odd in certain certain uh, views. But I mean, the the, the scallop bootleg was 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 done that way so that it would it would stake in a straight line down the autostrada at, at high speed. Yeah. A lot of the trim work around the windscreen and uh, um, along the sides of the body was all done for for, for streamlining, and uh, uh, it works. You know, it works. I mean, I've I've driven mine at hundred miles an hour in. In, in Germany, and it's as it's as good, it's as solid as a rock, you know, um, for, for yeah. a 50, 50 year old car. Amazing, absolutely amazing. So you, you've talked about celebrating the the sixtieth anniversary next yes, year. Yes, that's right. Any other plans to to do things either differently with the way the registers run, or or in terms of uh, other things that you can do for register members in yeah. the in the short to medium term? Something uh, this, this I find disappointing is the, it's the sort of just the lack of feedback you get from, from members. You know, you don't, you know, I, I, I'd like to put on a lot more shows in the UK, but we don't seem to get the, 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 the responses back from people. You know, obviously next year, National Alpha Day, it would be fantastic to have as many 105 saloons as we can possibly get together. But I know from just trying to get uh, a couple of years ago from the re- uh, celebration of the 1750 GTV, it was a real struggle to get people to come along and bring their cars. And uh, whether that's the fact that they you know they get they are becoming so valuable, people don't want to use them. I don't I don't, yeah. don't know. I've, I've always thought that if you have an Alpha, you should be out there and driving it. But you know, they are so valuable, people don't want to get them in the wet or get stone chips and this sort of thing. And they'd rather have them in the garage and polish them. But there we are. <laughs> and I know that's that's Carol's Carol Corliss's biggest frustration running the the pre-war register is that you know the 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 proportion of those cars that are now owned by collectors who have very little intention to ever drive yes. them is a real frustration. You, know, you you think the price that well the price she paid for her <laughs> supercharged seventeen fifty was was quite remarkable, but. Some of the, the the prices that people paid for 105 series cars when they were at their their low yes, point, that's right, that's right, and 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 what they're worth now, it, it is a very different owner profile. Albeit, you've got people like you and and you know people like Jonathan Griffin in, in the club who have owned those cars for a long time now and, and bought them relatively cheap. Yes, that's right. And and have ended up with something valuable, but but there is a big kind of collector element to the. Yes, there is. The they're, they're like pieces of art, really, aren't they? They're, they're not, to, not to be used, just 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 admired. I think really, but uh, that's not the way, not yes. the way I look at it. Really, you should be out there using them. There we are. You know, again, horses for courses. And, uh, that's what people want to do. You know, yeah. I, one of the things that we discussed at the the recent section secretaries and and registrars meeting was other things that registers in general, not the, not the one hundred and five register in particular, can do. Yeah, perhaps learning from some of the the lessons of of COVID and getting around the fact that people, you know, it is difficult for for a single model to get together physically yes, yes. Um, to maybe start doing some some virtual things and having a you know a regular Zoom meeting between events so that people can talk about their cars, swap tips, you know, and 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 build that community without having to take them out of the carcoon and get them wet. <laughs> 
I think that's 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 a really good way, good thing to good thing to suggest. Actually, I mean, uh, a Zoom meeting for all the say the one hundred five members to get together and, as you say, to talk about talk about their cars, the restorations they're having done. It it all helps with with the ownership of the of a particular vehicle. Um, you know, some some people yeah. feel a bit a bit lost and uh, they don't know where to go and who to who to ask. And if you can ask the community, then that's got to be got to be a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe that's something I'll have a go at, go at next year with 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 the one hundred five and with. Some with some help from the you know, the guys in the club who can who are up to speed with these things. We we can set that up and do it. Nick's always happy to set up and join a Zoom okay. meeting. Okay, all right. Well, we'll, we'll we shall we shall look forward to doing that in the new year. Then. <laughs> yeah, okay. Be good. okay. Anything else that we haven't talked about that you think we should or you'd like to talk about? I'm I'm, I'm disappointed the way you know the way the way that some of the sections of, operate within within the club. I mean, I've been a, been as a member for a long long time. And we used to have get a lot of people along to our Hearts and South Meds uh, gatherings, and then we do, you know, we do struggle now. Although we put on a very good program of events and uh, meetings and things like that, it's really the same old people that we see every time. And to me, being a member of the club is. Is, is is it's interaction with with other members, you know, having a chat with somebody over a pint, going out and looking at people's cars. It's all be it's all part of being a member. Again, I can't understand why people don't don't interact more. They, they'll join the club. Maybe it's just for the perhaps of the insurance side, maybe for evaluation. But it, it being part being a member of the club is is, is getting involved and uh, and socialising. I'm surprised that more people don't don't do it. Yeah, it's something that we again we talked about at the, the meeting in Coventry, and it does vary enormously. I know I I joined the club um, in the. Uh, late eighties, and and never in, in my first period of membership when I lived in Kent, never had any interaction with the section at all because I was getting what I wanted from the from the big events and the and the magazines. Yes. Um, and then when I when I moved to Berkshire, it, it, again, it took me a long time to get involved in the section, and and I, probably one of my my biggest regrets in life, and it's it's not that big a regret. I try not to have too many, <laughs> but is it, is that I didn't get involved in that kind of thing earlier. Yeah, sure. You know. The, the the sections are you know such a, a a huge part of what the the club does, and you look at and I I I I'm always reluctant to to massage our chairman's ego too much because um, <laughs> we do we do a lot of it and he he deserves it unfortunately. <laughs> but the, you you look at the East Midlands section and the the numbers they get along to meetings and the events they run are you know are an example to the whole of the rest of the Absolutely. country and and. It's how how we not quite replicate that because I think what they do in East Midlands works in the East Midlands and isn't necessarily the right thing to do everywhere. No. But it's how do we how do we figure out what is the right not just mix of, of events, but how do we get people along to those events yeah, exactly. to to realise how good I mean, they are. You, can't, you couldn't have a better uh, section secretary than than John Griffiths. I mean, he is just so. In, he, if you cut him in half, he'd bleed Alpha Romeo all the way through, wouldn't he? But, <laughs> Yeah, he is so enthusiastic uh, for the cars and the club, and he, he's it, the great great thing about him is as as should be with any section secretary. You get a, if you get a new member uh, arriving at a section meeting, you, you it's your job to go up and welcome them and buy them a beer and then and then introduce them to other members in the section, get them talking to people. Yeah. Well, that's been fascinating, Stuart. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you. Well, that's just about all we have time for this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time on Sunday the 19th of December when I'll be speaking to Mike Stark, pilot of the magnificent 3.8-litre 156 GTA Hill Climb car, which featured at National Alpha Day and on the club stand at the recent NEC Classic Motor Show. 
We'll be talking about the car and its history, as well as how you could get started in hill climbing. Episode 47 will be available to download from Amazon Music, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, and everywhere else good podcasts are found. Until then, stay safe. 